Lord, we say happy Father's Day. For you are the Father of the universe, the maker and the creator of all things. And we give you honor, we give you praise, we give you glory. Father, you are a father to the fatherless. And we thank you, Lord God, that for those who have not had the best relationship with their fathers, oh God, that you have been a father and a place of comfort for them where they did not receive affirmation from their earthly fathers. God, you have given them affirmation and letting them know that they can fall in the grace that no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've been through, that they have a father that still loves and cares for them, just like Luke 15, Father, as, as you see the prodigal son running back down the road, you're waiting for us to return for you, God, and I thank you for your unfailing love and your grace. Now, hide me behind your cross, that they see not me, but they see you, God. Lord God, speak through my mind and through my heart that, Lord God, we be blessed by the word that you give us, and we'll be careful to give you all the praise in the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Give God a hand clap of praise. For me, way back on Calvary, that's why I praise you. I lift you up and I magnify your name. That's why my heart is filled with praise. I love you. I love you. I love you, Lord, today. such a special way that's why I praise you I lift you up and I magnify your name oh that's why my heart is filled with praise oh that's why that's why my heart is filled with praise. That's why my heart is filled with praise. Give God some praise in the building. Why don't you welcome my online family? Give a hand clap of praise and bless those who are online. And I hate to belabor it, but for today, if you're a father, can you raise your hand? Can we give a rousing round to all of those who are fathers in the building? Those who have prayed, those who have stayed, those who have labored, those who have been. You can give more than that. We did it on Mother's Day. I want to give it up for my guys. If you're online, I say to you, happy Father's Day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be rejoice and be glad in it. I know from being a father myself that fathers do the best they can. They're imperfect vessels, but they try. And sometimes fathers get tired, but even when they're tired, they get up and they endure what they don't have to endure. And they go where they would rather not go. Why? Because they love their family and they want to provide for their family. Sometimes it, it gets to the point where, where you have to sacrifice. It's, it's nothing like being a father. I had this conversation with my 
kids the other day, and I, I talked to them, and I told them that you are some of the most important things to me in my life. And they said, well, uh, Anna said, well, Daddy, what about money? I said, baby, money comes and money goes, but there's nothing like being a daddy. There's nothing like having children that you love and that look like you and that you can impart into them godliness, and you get to help change a generation because as you father them, they're going to go out into the world and father and mother other people. So there is nothing more important in America, in the culture, and the society than fatherhood. And today we celebrate fatherhood. In the day when the family is under attack and we celebrate everything that is anti-God and anti-family, I just want us to take just a second to take the roof off of this place and celebrate the family and celebrate men and celebrate the Celebrate what God is doing in the earth. <laughs> there is a word from the Lord. Fathers, I respect you and I love you. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for men that can come in and worship. There are men that are worshiping in this place. Some of our loudest worshipers are men, and you don't know what that does to me, that real godly men, not, not other kind of men, but real godly, real for real men. Everybody said for real, for real. Manly men can come in, and they're not scared to raise their hand. They're not scared to give God praise in their own way, and I thank God for you. There is a word from the Lord in the book of Romans. Has Romans been helping you guys? I know it's been helping me. Hallelujah. Let us stand as is our custom from Romans. Uh, we're going into part eight of Romans. This has been a real meaty topic, and we're, we're glad to be here. I want to say thank you to all those of you who are online and all those fathers who are online. Let's just give one more hand clap for them. We're grateful for them that God can help us expand. I want to reiterate this. We're going to be putting these out. These are connect cards. We want to be able to connect with you. We want to know what your birthday is so we can put it in the uh, newsletter. We want to know what your anniversary is. If you have a prayer request, we want to know that too. And if you don't want to write it down, you see this little thing right here? Just like you go to the restaurant, it's a QR code. You can scan it, you can click it, and you can put your information in the system. If you've already given, you already have your information in the system, go and fill out your profile on Planning Center. Uh, we want to know who you are and, and be able to pray with you and connect with you and bless with you. If you're online and you like one of that, send it to us and we'll send, send out the QR code. I don't know if they can put it on the screen right now. I didn't tell them to get that queued up. But uh, for those who want to be a part of our fellowship, you're welcome. The book of Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 9. <laughs> Romans is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> Romans is not for the, the casual cookie cutter Christian, but Romans is for those who are looking to be mature in their faith and to go up together as we grow up together. How many of y'all are ready to go up together in God and to grow up and to be a mature body of believers? We're going to read together. Let's read. What does it say? What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. Mm. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I want to read that last verse one more time, if you guys will indulge me. Let's read that last one. Ready, read. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You may be seated, Lord. Speak your servants. Listen, and we'll give you all the praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God, brothers and sisters. We've been talking and going through the book of Romans, and I have so loved the richness of the book of Romans to, to get into some deep theological things. It's, it's good as a pastor. You don't know how good it is as a pastor to enjoy a congregation that does not mind the deeper things of God, who would like to go into something beyond the surface and to know what real Christianity is, not just popular Christianity or the things we may see on TV or we see on YouTube, but those who are really interested in living a godly life and knowing what you believe. It's important that you know what you believe as much as the fact that you do believe. And Paul has been talking to us for, for weeks now through the aid of the scriptures and telling us that the gospel is the good news for those who are perishing. Who's perishing? All of us are perishing. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for unto salvation for everyone who believes first to the Jew and to the Greek. And we've gone through all sorts of things all the way through Romans chapter 1 and verse 2. And we begin to talk uh, uh, about how everybody needs God. Right down from the people who are debauched and morally depraved. Right down to the people who are somewhat moralistic in society but still don't have a connection with God. All the way down into the church. Those who are in the church. Those who are religious like the Jews who themselves have received the promise of God. But just being there wasn't enough that all of them fall under a condition where they need God and Paul today is talking about something that we don't talk about much in the world today it's everybody say the depravity of man Somebody says, what, 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 the what of man? Depravity. What does depravity mean? Depravity is, is something that we're going to get into down the road about the sinfulness of mankind. Paul left us last week telling us, the Jews, that they had some advantages because they had received the promises of God. But even in that, he lets us know that mankind, regardless of the favor that are on their lives, are in the same spiritual condition. They are all in the same boat. And he makes an appeal that keeping the law could not make someone justified or make somebody right with God simply because why? We could not keep it. There is nothing wrong with the law of God. If you follow the law, it works, it works fine uh, for social things that you should not steal, you should not kill, you should not bear false witness. The only problem with the law is the people that are, uh, are obligated to obey it. That we can't obey it, that we can't obey the law in its entirety. And Paul says that when you stand before a completely holy and moral God, if you break one part of the law, you break in all, you've broken all of the law. Therefore, we cannot put our hope in our own human effort. We cannot preach a gospel that preaches salvation through works. But Paul says it this way, that we are saved, everybody say, by grace, by grace. through faith. 
we are saved by grace. If anybody asks you how you're saved, you should be able to tell them that I'm saved by the grace of God, God's riches at Christ's expense, and I'm saved through my faith in Christ Jesus. And it's not anything that I've done, but the Bible says it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast, which means that, as one theologian said many hundreds of years ago, I contributed nothing to my salvation except the sin that made it necessary. <laughs> that is not something that's often preached, and that might not be the things that fill the pews, but if we're going to grow in God, we need to know those things. Why can't we keep the law? Because we see in the text today, Paul says that we are under, everybody say under. We are under sin. And now if we are all under the same cloud, all of us in Michigan know that if you don't like the weather in Michigan, wait a few hours and it will change. But wherever you are in Michigan, if you are all under the same cloud, you are all affected by the same thing in the same region and the same vicinity. And mankind is under sin. And since we're under the same cloud, that means we are affected by the same Thing. And Paul is saying to us that sin is universal. He's saying that nobody gets away from sin. David, as, as he begins to write Psalm 51, as they pull it up on the screen, David, who decided to take another man's wife and, and to cover up that he made a love child with that man by sending that man to war on the front lines and killing him. David, that David who got confronted with his sin, but also was a man, the Bible says, after God's own heart. That doesn't fit our moral uh, morality today, because once you mess up one time, the church and the world tend to cancel people. We throw people away. <laughs> but as David is confronted with his sin, why is he after a man after God's own heart? Because he's unperfect. Why? Because he's messed up. You would think that God would want to throw the proverbial book at him. But then we see what David says in Psalm 51. When David is confronted with his sin, he doesn't make excuses for his sin. He doesn't go get a psychologist to say that his sin is now a sickness. He doesn't go get friends around to say that his sin is is socially acceptable. Therefore, everybody should accept it. He says this. He says in Psalms 51, and they don't have that on the screen, but he says, have mercy on me, O God. When David looks at the condition of his sinfulness, he asks God to have mercy on him. Why does he have ask God to have mercy on him? Because he realizes what he has done. He realizes that in the, in the act of adultery, in the act of taking another man's wife, in the act of these things, he has taken something that was precious, which was life. And he says this in Psalms 51 and 1. You can leave five on the screen if you want. He says, have mercy on me of God according to steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions wash me thoroughly from my iniquity in other words I don't want to stay this way and cleanse me from my sin for I know and this is the important thing that we have to know that's why many people don't come to God genuinely because we have given them the false assumption that they are a good person everybody likes to be thought of as a good person but we're going to talk about that in a second in verse 3 he said this he says for I know my transgressions sometimes you got to be honest with yourself you have to know yourself you have to keep people around you that don't tell you what you want to hear but people that tell you what you need to hear don't tell 
tell me I'm fine when I'm in sin. Don't tell me I'm headed to heaven when I'm on my way to hell. Tell me the truth because I need to know the truth about myself. Because Jesus said this, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Because if the truth doesn't make us free, that indicates that before we know the truth, that we are a slave or in bondage under the penalty of sin. This is what we need to do. We need to do sometimes what David has done. This is how you come to God. He says, Lord, I'm not making excuses. I'm not going to try to blame my, my running around on this or my wife or that. I did it, Lord. Nobody did it but me. It was my fault. I was on the roof. I had no business being on the roof. I, I, I know she was bathing on the roof, but I shouldn't have been looking over there. As a matter of fact, I should have been at war where the other kings were, God, but I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And although some people may have contributed to the factors of my sin, ultimately I am responsible. Everybody say, I am responsible. We have to stop blaming everybody else for our sin. We have to stop blaming everybody else for our problems. The worst enemy most times is the one that's in me, not the ones that are out there. And if we'll be honest, we'll realize that our wife isn't our problem, Pastor Ernie. We're our own worst problem. Your husband is not your own worst problem. You are your own worst problem. Your boss is not your problem. You are your own worst problem. Most times, it's the sin in us that causes us to make decisions that give us repercussions that will destroy our lives. He says against you. Look at what he says. He doesn't say I've sinned uh, against. He doesn't say I've, I've, I've sinned against this man and I've taken his wife. But he looks to God and he says what? Against you and you only have I what? Sin. Let's read that together. What does it say? Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In our culture, we like to make excuses. We like to make excuses. We say, I'm not hurting nobody. If I just do this in private on my own, I'm not hurting nobody but myself. So why should they bother? Why? Because if you're sinning, you're not worried about hurting your fellow man. You're worried about hurting God. And if you hurt God, most times you're going to ca carry a behavior about yourself that will cause you to hurt your fellow man we need to look at sin not as it hurts other people we need to take a look at that but first we need to always represent this stop worrying about offending people and start worrying about offending God I'm a pastor and I go in all sorts of places places that have all sorts of smells and flavors and they smell like skunk sometimes, turhan and, and all sorts of stuff and they smell like strong alcohol and things and I'm amazed at something because when, when I walk in the building a lot of people start doing this and they, they start, um, I'm sorry, uh, how, you do, how you doing pastor and all that stuff. They think they're offending me and never realize I'm not the problem. You can hide from me. But God is looking at you the entire time. He sees what you do when the door is closed. He sees what you do when you're bathroom by yourself with your cell phone. He sees what you do when nobody's in the living room but you. He sees what you're saying in that secret conversation that you think nobody hears but you and your friend. He sees it, and not only that, he doesn't see just the external, because that's all we can see. The Bible says that man looks at the outward appearance, but what what we should be fearful of is that God looks at the, he looks at the heart. He's not just looking at what you do, but he's looking at why you did it. He's not just looking at what you said, he's looking at why you said it. He's not just looking at where you are, he's looking at why you went there. 
It's the motivations of the heart. And David says, against you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. In other words, God, I'm paying the penalty. My child has died because it was a love child and I died and it was in sin. But it wasn't the child's fault. It was my fault. And I have to accept the responsibility for my own actions. This world and this country and this city would be much better when people stop blaming everybody else and start accepting responsibility for their own actions. It's not the school's fault that prayer's not in school. It's your fault because prayer's not in your home. If prayer was in your home, you wouldn't be worried about prayer in school because I can stand right here quiet and pray to God. You don't know whether I'm praying or not. I don't need the kid, the school to teach my kids to pray. I, need, I don't need the, kids, the school to teach my kids about God. That is my responsibility. I don't need the church to teach my kids about God. We just merely enforce what you should already be doing. If you can't say amen, hallelujah. Thank you, Lathan. <laughs> Psalm 51 and verse 5. 51 and verse 5. This is where we're going today because this is where David explains why he is doing what he is doing, why he's doing these sinful things that he doesn't want to do. And if we be honest, all of us have some kind of struggle that we're struggling with. What does he say? He says this. He said, behold, I was read it with me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Let's read that again loud because that's the linchpin of our, our service today. Let's read that together. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother did conceive me. Now, if we were to look at that and we were just to think on the surface, we would think that David is talking about a tawdry way that he came into the earth. But David is not talking about that. In this passage, David is explaining the root cause of his actions. He is not explaining the circumstances of his conception, but rather the condition of his nature when he entered the world. I want to pull up something because I want to do some teaching today. I want you to pull up a scripture in, in the back, guys. I want you to pull up Romans, uh, Romans chapter 5. Verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I want you to see this because this is what he's trying to explain to us. Well, everybody, let's read that together. What does it say? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by death sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have what? Sin. In other words, we most times put it another way. We see it this way. When I was in high school, we used to talk about this process called denaturation. What is denaturation? That means that everything is built off of amino acids and polypeptides. They're built off of these chains, and they make these things called DNA that make the thing what it is. And see, the thing is that if you add other elements to it, although you may have something that looks similar to it, you change the nature of it. Therefore, it is not the same. Pastor, what do you mean? It means that if I have some water, I still have some water. But if I add a little coldness to it, it then becomes ice. It 
is not the same thing. It's made of the same substance, but when it is molested by something outside of itself, it begins to change. That is the same way that when you have an egg, if you drop it on the ground, the egg will spill out in its consistency. But when you begin to boil it, you can open it up and crack it and it's hard. It's the same egg, but it has been denaturized. It has been taken out of its natural state. It is an egg, but it is not an egg in its purest form because something on the outside has affected it and caused it not to be. You can get raw hamburger meat, and I'm pretty sure nobody will eat raw hamburger meat, but once you denaturize it and you put some heat on it, it begins to turn into a hamburger. Well, some people like their stuff uh, a little rare, but if you do, some people will eat it, but I'm not going to eat it. I like it at least medium. Well, that's, that's how I am. You can eat it how you want to, but in the process of denaturation, what happens is it causes the cells in that thing to die and some to become damaged. And although you have a hamburger, it is not in its original form anymore. Pastor, why you have all this water up here? Why, why are you talking about science to me? It's because we have to realize that our nature was made perfect in God. God made man, Adam, in his image. He made him with a perfect nature, a perfect DNA. He made him without spot. He made him without wrinkle. He made him without blemish. He had the opportunity to stay this way. But Adam followed the enemy. Adam did what he wanted to do. And because of that, Adam fell into sin. And he became denaturized. And his nature although he still had human flesh, was vastly different. He wasn't the same. Sin wasn't just what he did, but sin was a part of who he was. And Eve did the same thing. So now, from Adam comes all of humanity, and humanity will be pure. The only thing is that humanity has to come through, and this is perfect for a father. It doesn't come into the world unless it comes first from a father. Yes, it has to come through a mother, but first it has to come through a father. And when sin came from Adam, he was denaturized. And he infected all of humanity. All of humanity is affected by sin. So as you pass down from generation to generation, no matter how good you try to be, there's still sin in your DNA. See, we fooled ourselves to feel that we could all be good people. But the truth of the matter is, Sinning doesn't make you a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. That Adam had been denaturized. And now no matter how far down the line you get, this is us. This is why we fight. This is why we argue and bicker and complain. This is why we get addicted to pornography, pornography and fornication. This is why we chase money more than anything. This is why we can't control our anger. This is why, why we have jealousy and hatred and malice in our hearts because it came from our father.
father Adam. And sin has infected and affected all of us. <laughs> its old nature is transformed because it has been exposed to an outside circumstance. And just like you had a godly nature at first, now you have a denatured nature and it's called what the Bible calls the flesh or the sin nature. Adam is letting us know when he says in sin was I born, what he is saying is I wasn't born good, I was born bad. I'm bad to the bone. Somebody said bad to the bone. <laughs> That's the topic of today's sermon, bad to the bone. I'm bad to the bone. I wasn't, we love to say that we're good people, but the truth of the matter is we're not good people. <laughs> Doing good, nice things doesn't make you a good person because no matter what this water does, it can't change what's inside. Only God can. His nature was shifted and sin infected and affected his life. And so every time Adam reproduced, he reproduced with an altered nature that sin was in his DNA, a nature born in disobedience, a, a sin nature that is passed from generation to generation. Therefore, Paul is letting us know in chapter three that we are not sinners because we sin. We sin before because regeneration, because that's who we are. We don't like that. We won't show up to church anymore when the pastor tells us that. We want to make sure that all a good person and we affirm everything and we affirm every lifestyle and we affirm every life choice and we affirm every thought. If that's what you want to do, do it. Do what thou wilt, as we would say uh, 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 in certain ways. We, we try to do that. But the true fact of the matter is that this is us. We are who we are because of Adam. And even after you get saved, the spirit is now renewed and reborn. If I had two pictures, I didn't get two pictures. What you would have is I put a dividing line down the middle and you would see some of this. And I pour some some other water in here. Why? Because when you get saved now, your spirit is regenerated, but your corruptible flesh will not last forever. It's going to go away. And now that's what Paul means when he said every time I would do good, Evil is ever present with me. He's saying, Lord, I have two natures. I want to do the right thing, but I find myself doing the wrong thing. I want to stop looking at pornography, but I find myself sneaking on my phone when I get there. I want to stop cussing out people, but when I get angry, I can't find a way to control my anger. I want to be submissive to my husband, but every time I do, I feel like I'm less than, and I, it makes me angry. I want to be loving to my wife, but I, I don't get the respect that I feel that I deserve. Therefore, I'm overbearing, and I'm, I'm over angry, and I don't know what it is, and I know what's right, and I know what the preacher said. I'm getting this illustration, but somehow, when I leave the building, there is a cognitive to disconnect between what I want to do and what I actually will actually do and it's because inside of me I know that dwelleth the Bible said no good thing it's a constant fight this is war this is division this is hating somebody because they have a different political party this is hating somebody because they don't have money in the class and the status you do. This is racism. This, this is classism. This is sexism. All of us wrapped up right in this. 
The sinful nature. Who is Jesus? Is this good to anybody else? This is good to me. I'm, I'm loving this. <laughs> we sin because of we are who we are. And even after you get saved, the spirit man, he becomes renewed and reborn. But the house he's living in has been made with sinful bricks. If you get saved at the age of 30, for 30 years you've lived in this. You've lived in this, you've done what you wanted to do, you've done what you can and what you think you can, and you've done that, and now all of a sudden, God cleans up your spirit, and you say, hey, we need to pray more. And, but the flesh says, no, nah, we don't need to do that. I'm going to do what works for me. Why? Because I've been doing that for 30 years. I've been cursing out who I wanted to curse out. I haven't been loving or kind or serving to anybody. I did what I wanted to do. I covered up morality so people could see it on the outside, but on the inside, I'm rebellious. I'm nice to people and uh, nice to my husband in front of people. I'm nasty to them when they're not looking. I'm nice to my wife when, when people are looking. I'm, I'm abusive when they're not looking. I learned how to play the game. What do you mean you're going to come in here and change the rule? This is my house. That's why Paul. Paul says this, that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. And that's why he said mortify or to kill the flesh. How do I kill the flesh? I, I, I dump this over and I allow the Holy Spirit of God to come into me. And I read my word and I begin to pray and I, I begin to disciple. And, and here's the thing. If you want to win a fight, my wife and I, she took me out late last night because we were practicing for the camp and we had the regional camp over here, uh, directors. And we went late. My wife, she loves me because my wife won't go anywhere after 7 o'clock. It's just she said by 9 o'clock it's time to go to bed. But she actually took me out and I got to go outside and we watched this UFC fighting and I said millions of dollars because we like to see violence it's attractive we can't stop looking go down and see an accident on the road and you almost wreck yourself because you can't look away it's attractive to us Paul is letting us know that we're built with sinful bricks, but this is how you do that. The Bible says walk in the spirit and you will, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you walk in the spirit, you don't want to have to worry about fulfilling the lust of the flesh. You have to get up in the morning and when you get up, before you get on, the, on Facebook, you pick up the good book and you begin to read your scriptures and get that set to the first thing in your mind. Because here's the thing. Come here, Turhan. Come here, Victor. Stand right behind me. Now, just from the visible, which one of these you think if they just break out fighting gonna win? win? Oh, wow. <laughs> he don't fight, but all he got to do is push and Victor's gone because he's a big fella. He's tough. We call this, this is called the casual Christian. When I'm the casual Christian, I'm saved, but I come to church every now and then. That's what's on the inside of my spirit, man. I'm filled. But over here, this is the one that likes to skip church and go to the baseball game, skip church for this. This is the one who can show up to work to church for every day, that I can go every day sick to, sick to church. I can go every day sick to work, but somehow I'm always too sick to come to church. That's, that's what this is right here. You know, you know that guy. I don't want to beat up on guys, but the ones who all of a sudden they're always too hurting to come to church, but somehow they find a way to get to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's what this is right here. That's exactly what this is. And it's because they eat so much of the flesh that when they say, I'm going to church, mm -hmm. tell them he ain't going to church. 
Tell him that? You notice what he did? He ain't opened his mouth. You see that look? No, you're not. <laughs> not today. <laughs> not today. Here's the thing. What you have to do is whichever man you feed the most is the one that's going to win the battle. So what we have to do is we got to start starving our flesh and feeding our spirit so that although he might be shorter, if he do a couple of push-ups, he might have a fighting chance. Guys, y'all can go down. Thank you so much. Give them a hand. That's why Paul says that every time I find myself to doing good, I don't do it. Pull up Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 24. We're going to read that together. We're, we're, we're not going to be here long. And let's read it. What does it say? What does Paul say about this? Let's read it together. What does it say? For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that what dwells in me. Now stop. Wait a minute. This is Paul. Paul who wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Paul who some believe wrote over 14 different languages. Paul who is one of the most influential apostles in the world. And he's saying himself that sin is still what? Dwelling in me. Stop trying to pretend and convince folks that you're perfect. We know you're not. (laughs) I know you're not. Because I'm not. Stop trying to convince folks that you're without fault and that you have no sin. The Bible says if we say that we have no sin, we lie and we do not the truth. It's a struggle. Christianity, you sign it up for a battle when you sign up for Christianity. It's not all about feeling good. But here's the thing. You have to put your flesh on the cross. Jesus said in Luke 9 and 23, if any man will follow me, he must first pick up his cross and follow me daily. They do not use crosses to have a nice seat at the beach. They use crosses to execute in the most brutal and the horrific way. And I want you to get you this. Sometimes on the cross, it could take days to die. Why do you need to know that? Because if you've been caught in sin for a long time, I can put my hands on your head and sometimes God may miraculously do something, but sometimes you may have to do some things to mortify the deeds of the flesh. You may leave out of here and say, I'm still addicted to porn. I'm still addicted to lust. I'm still addicted to money. I'm still addicted to these things. And it takes longer for some things to die than others. So what you have to do, you determine how fast you go. Why? Because if you keep showing up and you keep putting the word in your heart, what you're doing is you're feeding the other man. And this is what you got to do. You got to look up and you got to get up. In my Bible study, people know this from years ago. You get up and you wake up in the morning. You say, Sir, I haven't seen you since last night. I'm looking at you in the bathroom mirror. Sir, Self, you're looking good right there. You got the million-dollar face. You got a million-dollar smile. Self, you're looking real good for you. But before we leave the house, we got to go down 696. And, and Self, you, you got a problem with cussing out people down 696 who cut you off. So before you leave, Self, I want you to know this. Uh, I got this cross for you. I, I need you to get on this. <laughs> I need you to get on this before we leave because you're going to embarrass me, Self. 
Self, uh, self I, I, I know you're looking good, but you got a problem with looking stuff on your phone that you don't have any business doing. There are apps for that where people can hold you accountable. Self, get this app. Why? Because you got, I, I got this cross for you. You have to mortify these things. Self, I know you're on your way to church and you're coming this Sunday and you're looking real good, but this altar is open right now. And not, what this altar says at the end of the service, it doesn't say that I'm saved or I'm not saved. It says that we're all under the same condition. And when you kneel at this altar, what you are most times telling uh, telling yourself is, I got this cross for you. I can't fight you on my own. <laughs> but if I keep in the way of God, if I keep in prayer, if I keep in discipleship, if I keep in devotional, if I keep myself more in the way of other things, I, God will fix it out. The Holy Spirit will do things that I can't do. Let's keep going. Where do we stop? We stopped at verse 18. Verse 18. Let's see uh, what he says right there. Verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Somebody struggling said, oh, my God, you, you should just shout right there in freedom because the devil has lied to you and made you think like you're dirty and you're nasty by yourself and that nobody else is sinning but you. Everybody has issues. Everybody has things. Some of us just learn to cover it up more than other people. That's all it is. Let's, let's see verse 19. What does it say? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. <laughs> Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find verse 21. Have they got it up there? Pull up verse 21, guys. I'm going to keep reading. Y'all can hop in when you get ready. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You're not struggling by yourself. Why do we have AA here for four, four days a week? Because there's some people who are struggling and they can't get out of it on their own. And they need an anonymous place where they can come and get. And some of those people you'll never see in here because, after all, it is anonymous. But there are people that are Alcoholics Anonymous that call me pastor. We have another congregation of which you know not. Why? Because we're walking along with them and we're loving them when they need it. And sometimes they'll say, I don't even believe in God. That's fine. Do you need to talk? Let's see, what, let's see how we can help you. You may believe in God later down the road, but I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to get you to another place because without God, you don't have anything to fight with because here's the thing if you don't have God you don't have this and this you just got this you don't have anything to tell you you shouldn't be doing that or anything strong enough to override it and it brings death and destruction to your life. So all are under sin or sin controls them. And also that's why it's hard for many of us to get sin out of our life because we're in bondage to sin. There are many people who are caught in things that they feel are disgusting and nasty and embarrassing. And they're scared to tell somebody at the church because of how they will be judged. But here's the thing. I'm no different than you. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So guess what? God's grace is available 
available to all who will come to it. God's cross is available to all those who will come. Repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus and for everyone for the remission of your sin that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If you're tired of struggling on your own, if you're tired of trying to do it on your own, add another element to the equation. Well, I'm still good, Pastor. For those of you who, who, who are still good and you don't have any problems, I want, want to go back up. Pull up Romans chapter 8, verse 10. I love the way this is written because he, he already assumes your answer. He already assumes this. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. What does it say? That Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Excuse me. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. They're good. I'm over 40. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. <laughs> Romans chapter 3, verse 10. They're getting it. There it is. Now, let's see what that says. It says what? As it is written, no one is righteous. No, not one. Do you notice anything about how he wrote that? Couldn't he have just said no one is righteous and left it at that? What he is saying is, because he knows human nature, no one is righteous. No, not even you. Because we often think that applies to everybody, but everybody else needs God, but I'm an upstanding moral citizen. Never carried a gun in my life. I pay my taxes. I do all these other things. I'm moral, and I, I love my wife. I've been good enough to beat my wife, a good father to my kids, but guess, this, guess what? None of that gets you into heaven. Only submitting yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not saved by what you do. God has to transform who you are, and you have to do that by being submitted to Christ. You could go and you could burn. You could be a fireman. You could save millions of people. You could be a first responder. And I have a lot of love and respect for them for what they do. And you could do a lot of good works. But at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus, you just this doing good works. What you do doesn't change who you are. Why would God send good people to hell? Because there are no good people. Not even me. Because in us dwelleth no good thing. This is a hard sermon to preach. So I know it's a hard one to receive, and I'm trying to smile as much as I can. But it is what it is. Everybody say it is what it is. See, Paul is talking about the depravity of man this week, and he's letting us know this so we don't get haughty and think that we got it. Here's the thing. He says, there's not one righteous, no, not one, but that's okay. I'm educated. I'm the educated elite, and I understand things, and I've got all this philosophy and knowledge, and I've studied all types of religion, and I know, know what this is really about, and I know you think of Christianity in your Bible. Well, he left something there for you. Go to the next verse. Verse 11. What does it say? No one understands. You're not as smart as you think you are. <laughs> well, that's okay. I've been in church for years I, uh, and, and, and things like that. Uh, I, I'll come in and I, I'm going to seek God. What does it say? But no one seeks for God. After God has drawn you and you're saved, you're seeking to be closer to him. But how many of you, be honest, when you were out sinning, you enjoyed it. And you lived life to the fullest. 
This was the alcohol content that you needed, and this is the alcohol content that you ingested. <laughs> How many of us know that when we sinned, we did the best we could at it? How many of you, be honest, and say you were the best sinner you could be? If you're going to do something, you might as well be good at it. <laughs> if you're going to go to hell, don't waste eternity in hell being a sorry sinner. Be the best one you can. But I don't want to waste eternity there. So you know what? Just as hard as I, I focus on sinning, I'm going to focus on following Jesus. Sometimes we lose our drive when we get to church, huh? <laughs> we stay in the club all night long. But by, by 30 minutes in the sermon, we start doing this. You know why God picked Paul? But one, because it was ordained from the foundation of the world. But two, he found Paul. Paul was busy. Even though he was trying to harm Christians, he was doing something. God always gets people that's doing something. Because if he can change this, you can keep doing, but this will be changed. No one understands. No one seeks God. He's laying the case that I, we are all in need of a Savior and that all of humanity is affected. Not just one individual. All of humanity is affected. We get mad at dictators. We get mad at murderers and killers. But when God sees us, he doesn't see one cup. The same thing that dwells in the dictator dwells in you too. The same thing that dwells in the adulterer and the abuser and the liar, it dwells in you too. And so we have to be cognizant of these things so we can live for Christ. They flatter. In other words, he says in verse 13, I liked what they did in verse 13, what he put there, because he used a particular word. He said, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive the venom of aspers in their lips. In other words, what he's using is a word called duolio, which means that they flatter people. How many have done good things with bad intentions? Let's say every guy that's in this room, you showed up with flowers. You showed up with candy. You showed up with cars. You showed up with money to take them on a date. And you also showed up with bad intentions in your heart for how the end of the date would go. Don't look, just keep looking ahead. Don't look at that. Just keep looking ahead. <laughs> Didn't you? But the ladies, y'all showed up pretty with all the mascara and all the faces that you wanted us to see and dressed nice and smelling nice and, and, and all those other things. And you looking good and you know you have no intention to give him any of his intentions, but you're going to get a free meal. Deception. How many know we can do a good thing with a bad intention? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Let me leave for y'all get mad at me. He's, he's, he's telling us this. Y'all have been great today. Th that their feet are swift 
to shed blood. He's talking about humanity in the past, a ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. That's why we can't get over war. Out of all the time of recorded history, there's only about 200 years that can be found where there was not a known conflict going somewhere. And that's just because it was somewhere that somebody didn't know it because people are always after each other. And the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law speaks, it is for those who are under the law so that the mouth of every person is stopped. But here it says, but by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law is perfect. The law, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law brings the knowledge of sin. You wouldn't know you ran a stoplight if unless there was a stoplight there. The law is good, but here's the thing. The law also highlights that we're not. But pastor, what I do? You believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do anything at all. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good way to end this, that although this is on the inside of me and I'll be struggling to the day I leave this earth, I'm going to feel as much as I can to the brim with Jesus. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to infect and affect me. I'm not a preacher that will come up and tell you that if you give your hand to God, everything you do is going to be perfect and you never make a mistake again in life. I want to prepare you for the truth that when you leave this door, temptation and sin will be waiting for you when you get outside. And sometimes you will win, Brother Bob, but often sometimes you'll lose. But if whether you win or lose, guess what? If you're saved, it still doesn't change who you are. Because just like it works this way, it works in the inverse. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because it's who we are. (laughs) And we don't do righteous things because we're righteous. But when Christ has saved us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away and all have become new. Now we do the righteous thing because that's just who we are. I don't know about you, but I'm prepared for the rest of my life for this battle. It's not for the weak at heart. Every day I have to wake up and say, self, you're looking good. You can stand to lose a few pounds, but you're still looking pretty good, self. But here's the thing. You got some selfishness in yourself. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna need you to get it on this cross before we go outside this door. Crucified the flesh. Why? Because I know that dwelleth in me no good thing, but here's something that David gave us, and I want to leave this with you, this scripture. David says this, Though our sins be as scarlet, thou will make me white as snow. Your fleshly nature has to go on. But your spirit is saved. I was talking to a friend, Pastor Ernie, and I figured this out. Never let somebody drive your car who does not own it. You know why? Because they didn't pay anything for it. They're not responsible to fix it. They're not responsible for the consequences. They're going to do what what feels good to them and leave you to pick up the pieces. 
How many of you know your flesh is not going to heaven with you? It doesn't live forever. So it wants to live how it wants to live. <laughs> it wants to do what it wants to do. The Bible says that this incorruptible flesh will pick up incorruption or this corruptible flesh. This flesh is going to the grave. So it's going to live, eat as much as it wants to eat, do whatever it wants to do. Why? Because this is the end of the road for it. But if you got any sense, you ought to say down in your spirit, it's the end of the road for you, but not for me. I'm going to live in such a way that Christ will be pleased that even when my body goes away, he will give me a regenerated Bible, body, the Bible says that I will put on immortality and that I will get to live with him in, uh, in glory. I'm not going to let somebody who has nothing left to lose make me give up everything I have to gain. I'm going to fight my flesh to the day I die. I'm going to try to live for Jesus all of my life. And as the prayer team comes and my time is done, This altar is here for all those who need it. If the truth be told, we all need it. But I understand some people can't get down on this altar because if you get down, you're not going to be able to get back up. I being one of those used. <laughs> My calf is getting better. But this altar is there for those who are willing to be up for the fight. Seek God while he may be found. Call on him while he may answer you. Prayer team, come on up. What can?